So today, if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in James uh, chapter 2. We're going to look at verses uh, 14 through 26. Uh, We'll see if we can get through all of what I want to say today or if if we're going to have to cut this in half. Uh, So I will try to uh, make sure that I cover it well enough that you can hear me and I don't speed through it. But at the same time, I'm just giving you fair warning that we may need to come back to this again uh, next week. So we'll, we'll see. But the, the main idea of what I want to talk about, what I think James is talking about here is really this. Uh, faith in our hearts is evident in the fruit of our lives. Uh, James, uh, one of the main phrases that you might say about James is uh, James preaches and teaches a faith that works. Uh, a faith that actually bears fruit. And, and this sermon today, that's what this is going to talk about. And I, I want to share with you, there, there's two main points, and then there's some sub-points underneath that as we look through this. And, and I don't know about you, but I need Scripture like this to keep me going in the right direction. Well, first of all, I need all kinds of Scripture for all kinds of reasons to keep me going in the right direction. But I specifically need James to remind me that we are supposed to be doing things too, uh, not just what we believe, uh, because seminary, uh, I don't know if you know this, seminary does a really good job, I think, of helping us have right theology and, and doctrine, depending on, I guess, depending on the seminary that you go to. So I, I think that the seminary I went to did a good job of helping me uh, parse scripture and have good biblical doctrine, those kind of things. However, it is the Holy Spirit that makes all of that head knowledge, make the transformation. And, and here's the thing. This, I don't know, what is it, 8 to 12 inches from head to heart, sometimes is the biggest gap that any of us can face. And what James is talking about is allowing that gap to be broached and what that looks like. So I don't know about you, but I need this. So let's pray so that we can hear what James has to say. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for your goodness, your faithfulness. You are always faithful to your promises. Lord, we confess that we often struggle to let our faith work. Or I guess we should say to let you work through us. We confess that we fall short and that we don't always do the things that you are calling us to. But we thank you, Father, for your patience and your long-suffering with us. We pray that you would cause our faith to grow and that our faith would produce the works that you have called us to. And we pray that because you are worthy. And so it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So hopefully you found your way to to James. Uh, I'm going to have lots of scripture uh, on the screen because we're going to be jumping around as we go through James. Uh, But you can stay in your Bibles if you have James uh, chapter 2, 14 through 19. Uh, the first thing that I want to talk to you about is what James is going to do here is he's going to qualify faith. So this is faith qualified, in my opinion, uh, according to what James says here. Okay? Uh, are you ready? Uh, in the back, they're going to click through as I read God's word to you, but this is what it says in James chapter 2, 14 through 19. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith 
apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So what James does here in the text, uh, starting in verse 14, is he starts to qualify this, and he tells us the first thing that we see here is a lifeless faith. He asks this question in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but has no, worth, uh, has no works, can that faith save him? Now, this is a rhetorical question, and the answer to that is no. And it's hard for us to come to grips with that, because, and part of that is, is because the way I think about it, and probably the way that you think about it, is that, hey, and, and by the way, the Bible does say, right, hey, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you're going to be saved. And so we would say to ourselves, Pastor, I'm just going to give you a little pushback and say, I don't see any works in that passage. And for you, I would say, me either, brother, sister, I, I don't either. But also, we have to keep in context all of scripture that we're talking about here. So this is kind of a weird and a strange gray area line. And, and I'm going to tell you, I can't pretend to stand up here and say, well, just because I have a, a degree from seminary, I have all the answers and I can figure it out every single time. But what I'm going to tell you is this, this is something we need to struggle with and wrestle with together. Now, James goes, uh, previous to this, he, he says in 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Do you remember that? We, we covered that before. So what I think James is talking about here is when you go to a funeral and you see the person, I, I know they don't do this as much as, I think it kind of depends on families and generations of the people and all those kind of things, but have you ever been to a funeral with an open casket where you can just see the person there? I distinctly remember the first time that ever happened to me. It was with my great, uh, my great grandma, Roby. And I remember going to the funeral with an open casket, and it was super weird. I was a little boy. How old was I? Eight. And I remember that, and I remember thinking, like, I understood the concept of death, so I got that, but just the whole experience was very strange to me. Um, you know what would have made it far stranger? If she would have said or done something, right? That would have made it way more strange. Because when you go to a funeral and you see the open casket, you don't expect for them to do anything, right? That's the whole point. When you, well, that's not the whole point, but the whole idea of being dead is that they do nothing. There's no life there. This is, in essence, what I think James is saying. He says, do you know how you know that the Spirit is living in you? Because life does things. There is something that's produced because of life. There has to be, or the life isn't there. You know, there was a time in my life where I had head knowledge, but there was no heart change. There was nothing being produced. And so what James would say is, do you think that that faith, that head knowledge faith with no life, nothing showing that it's actually alive, do you think that is going to save you? And he says, no. Now, he doesn't say no, but he supplies the no for us. It's, it's implied. Jesus said something very similar. He says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, 
uh, I'm sorry, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And you know this story, right? What happened to the house on the sand? Well, it fell, of course. And so then he says, it's, uh, those who do them are going to be like the person who builds their house on the rock. And all these things happened, and it stood. You see, in Scripture, we are told to believe in Christ, yes, but he says, repent and believe. Do you know what the word repent means? It's the idea of turning, uh, the idea of changing. I hate driving in Holland. Do you know why? I have to do U-turns all the time in Holland, and I hate that. But U-turn is the idea of repent. You go one direction, and you, you have a light bulb that goes on by the Spirit in your heart, and you realize that direction leads to death, and I must turn and follow after Christ, and that is this idea of repentance. Repentance will bring different fruit because that kind of faith is full of life, not lifeless. We are told in Scripture to renew our minds, to change our behavior. And so again, before we move on, he says, can that faith save him? And the answer is no, because at a funeral you expect the dead to do nothing. However, let me change context. I'll never forget my first child's birth. Now, unfortunately for our first child's birth, my wife was not awake to experience it. For the other ones she was, so that's good. But for that first one, and I've, I've been sad that we couldn't share that together, but say la vie, right? But I'll never forget the first time I heard that purple little squishy ball of gross cry. <laughs> and I knew that there was life because it produced something. Second thing he says is there's a loveless faith. So remember, he's qualifying faith for us. So what faith is not? In 15 and 16, he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And again, he says, That's good for nothing. Now, I'm going to step on your toes in a little bit, but before we do that, that's what loveless faith looks like. Luke 3.11 says, And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise, right? So Jesus is saying, you know, share these things with others. Matthew 25, 35 through 36, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. That is loving faith. Now you might say to me, pastor, that... Those just look like works to me. Well, what are you talking about? Well, again, we have to remember the context of what we're talking about here. James is saying, if that spirit of God lives in you, if the spirit of Christ is in you, then we will have love for those who are his creation, his image bearers as a whole, and then in the context, specifically, and even to a greater degree, those who are making up the body of believers, right? So we'll have a general love for humanity, but we'll have a very, a much more intimate love for the body of believers. First John 
He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Again, this is a, a rhetorical question. Of course it doesn't. He, he's going with, little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, because the Spirit pierces my heart, I get to inflict that same wound upon you, which is glorious that God does that out of love for us. Don't raise your hand, um, but how many of us in this room have told a brother or sister in Christ when they share something with us, and our response is, I'm going to pray for you. And then we forget or we don't do it. Somebody shares something with you and you say, in essence, go in peace, be warmed and filled. And then nothing happens. Now, can we apply this to a tangible assets too? Absolutely. But just like Jesus, I think it goes far deeper than just tangible assets. I, I could say to you, hey, what are you doing with your money? Are you giving enough to charity? Hey, what are you doing with your extra food? Are you trying to feed? And that's, that's an application of the text, absolutely. But what I care more about is not just your behavior. I care about our hearts. And so when we, in essence, do this spiritual, when we as Christians spiritualize this and we say things like, hey, I'm going to pray for that. And then we're not, this is what we're doing. Hey, be warmed and be filled and, I, and I'm going to pray for you. And then I never do those things. See, love is what shows the world who we belong to. Jesus always had time for people. I mean, he was on his way to other places and some lady who had had a bleeding problem for years all she had to do is touch the hem of his garment and he knew that power had went out from him and then he stopped the entire train of events to say, who touched me? Do you remember what the apostle said? Like, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you, bro. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. We need to stop this whole thing for a minute and we need to focus on this one person right now. That's what love does. I understand that you have lots of things going on in your world. And, and by the way, I understand better than probably most people in the room because I, I know a lot more about a lot of you. But love, in this kind of context, is the context where when we see one another hurting, when we ask one another, when another brother or sister in Christ specifically says that they are in need of something, that we, brother and sisters in Christ, stop doing whatever it is that we are doing to focus on them because that's what love does. Third thing he does as he qualifies this faith is he talks about lightless faith. Verse 17 and 18, he talks about lightless faith as he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. This is how the world sees Christ. This is how the world sees truth. Matthew 7, 16 and 17, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Hebrews 
11.33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Brother, sister, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. We who make up the church of Christ. And how often do we hide this under a basket because of fear of man? Whether that's fear of them out there or whether that's fear of us, I don't know if I have what it takes to let this happen. Lightless faith is unbelievable faith. When you were a kid, did you ever have an invisible friend? I don't know that I had like an invisible friend, but I, I probably, I mean, I made believe all kinds of different stuff. When I was towards the end of like middle school or high school, I think, by the way, I still watch cartoons. Ask my wife if you don't believe it. She'll catch me sometimes. Like, I'll just watch cartoons. The kids aren't even home. And she's like, what are you watching? Cartoons, of course. There was a cartoon as I was growing up. It was, it was Foster's, Foster's House of Imaginary Friends. I don't know if any of you are in my same kind of age range, if you remember that at all. You're probably much more mature and you stopped watching cartoons at a certain age that you should have. Uh, but if you didn't and you've seen that show, or if you want to tell your friends that it was because your kids were watching that show, wink, that's fine. But Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, and what these were is these were imaginary friends, right, that had, I don't know, they came to life because their kids believed in them so much or, or something. All that to say this. You're familiar with the concept of imaginary friends. Let's not let our Jesus be imaginary friend. People need to be able to see Jesus. And, the, and by the way, the only way that that's going to happen until he returns, and we ought to pray for that return and watch for that return, but until that happens, the way, do you know how people see Jesus? They see Jesus through us. They have to. There's no other way. And there is, and by the way, there are a world of people out there who are just like Thomas and who are saying, until I can, until I can see that the church is this or until I can understand that Christians are really that, I will not believe. And so you might not have holes for them to put their fingers in, but you have lives that you can open up that they can see. You have homes that you can open up. You have, you have testimonies that you can share. You have love that you can give. You have a light that you can shine. You have a gospel that you can preach. What James says here is don't let your friend be invisible. And so I want to cover the last section here of this kind of faith. He says there's a Luciferian faith. I don't know if Luciferian is a real word or if I made it up. I did Google it, and there is apparently like a Luciferian group, which you can imagine what they do. I didn't delve too deep. I was just checking Google to see if I had made this word up or not. Um, spell check continued to tell me that this was a wrong word, but I think it's legit. So verse 19 is the Luciferian faith here. It says, do you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This kind of faith is Luciferian faith. This is not the kind of faith that God desires for you to have. This is a faith that says one of two things. 
either I believe that kind of God, I have a faith in that kind of God, and so therefore, forget him, which I've talked to people who have, I suppose you could call that that kind of faith, that kind of belief. There's another kind of faith that I think this is talking about, which is, I believe that there's a God, and I will only live in fear of him. I will not live to love him. And that will cause a far different relationship than what God is asking you to have. What God wants for you is not Luciferian faith. He, he says, Jesus answered, the most important is, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that is true, and even demons believe that. But our faith is not based on that alone. Our faith is also based on, but God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that all who believe in him should have eternal life. They should not perish, but they should have eternal life. And so what James wants to guard against in this at the same time is to say, don't just be obedient because you're afraid that you're going to get smitten with a lightning bolt if you're not. That's not what he's after here. That's not what I'm after here. So as, as this sermon continues to progress, and you hear this, and maybe you feel bad right now because I've pushed a couple of buttons that God pushed in me this week as, as I was preparing this, and so praise, praise the Lord if, if, the, if that's the case. But what I want for you to also understand is it's not just... People have two general, I think, general wrong ideas of, of who God is. He's either, you know, the jolly grandpa genie in heaven who you just talk to, and uh, you send your wishes up there, and he kind of tussles your hair when you screw up, and he's like, ah, oh, you, you squirt, ah, oh, you don't do that, you know, and that's, a, that's how they treat God, and they kind of, they talk to him like that, and they, they send their wishes up, and great God genie in heaven, great grandpa, he, he, you know, gives you your wishes sometimes, and just kind of takes sin lightly, and just, you, you know, that's one, and then the other one is, this king on a throne with a spear in one hand and a rod in the, and a gavel in the other. And just every time your toe goes over the line, he slams the gavel. And if, it, you know, and he's casting those spear lightning bolts down on people just, oh, you stepped out of line, zap. And now, you, you know, bad karma on you or, or whatever. And so they, they have these two weird concepts, unbiblical, ungodly concepts of God where he is, where he is, 100% love and, and all the time and just everything you do is good and you're just a sweet, wonderful thing. And then they have this other thing where you're just evil and terrible and he cannot wait to squish you like a bug as soon as you move over the line. And both of those things are wrong because both of those things neglect the other side. And so what James is saying here is don't have Luciferian faith. Now that's the faith that Lucifer has because that's the right faith for Lucifer to have because one day he will be squished. But mental assent to a God is not obedience. And mental assent is not salvation. Gospels in them, there are several stories of demons obeying Jesus' authority. But none of them were the demons obeying Jesus' authority because they loved him and wanted to. This term shudder that is used here by James is one of intense fear. It's not born out of love. And so what we want is living, loving faith. So if this is faith 
qualified, then he moves on to the second half, which is faith, faith quantified. So here's what we're going to do. Are you ready for democracy? Uh, we've got six minutes left on my timer. And we have a, uh, a meeting to have. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hands if you want me to stop here halfway. We'll cut the sausage. And we'll come back and throw some more on the grill next week. Or if we're going to continue on. So... Don't feel bad. Just honestly, raise your hands. We're going to keep going. Okay, majority says we're going to cut the sausage then, or you're just afraid to raise your hand, and that's your fault. Sorry. Your vote counts, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close in prayer. Uh, next Sunday, we'll come back to the other half of this message. So save your notes if you're a note taker, and we'll finish out. And if you're a small group leader, and you're going to meet and you're going to talk about this, I guess go through only the first half of the questions, maybe. Or, or go ahead with the other ones and cover them again next week, too, because maybe people will have more things to say once they hear more from James. Let's, let's close in prayer. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you. We praise you for James, for his letter to us. Lord, we would ask that you would help us qualify our own faith in you that we would use these things that James talks about in this first half to help us understand where our faith needs to be strengthened, needs to be changed, needs to be brought back into a tune with who you are and what you've called us to through your son, Jesus Christ. It's, it's in your name that we do pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right, let's, let's